This is the third in a series of messages entitled, That's Just Like God. That's Just Like God. The first message, we saw that it's just like God to throw a party. Last week, uh, Doug did a great job explaining how it's just like God to choose and to use the weak. And today, on Father's Day, we're going to be focusing on the beautiful reality that it's just like God to run to the runaway. So before we get into it, let's pray together. Father, uh, your word says that your eyes move to and fro across the earth, seeking out those whose hearts are completely yours. A lot of people in the room this morning and a lot of agendas, a lot of expectations or whatever have come into this room this morning. I pray, Father, that we would just uh, be able to set all of that aside and focus now on receiving what you intend us to get. I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil, ready to receive your truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, Father, Father, I think that Father is one of the most powerful words in the English language. Just hearing the word can evoke strong emotional reactions from within us, all over the spectrum of emotions. To some, Father is a very positive term that is associated with things like warmth and trust, strength and acceptance. And to others, Father can evoke a negative reaction emotionally and can be associated with things like fear or pain. It's very sobering to me to think that my own two sons, ages 11 and almost 10, that my own two sons are developing associations even right now in their lives with this word, Father. And I often think about this, often. In 20 years, when my sons are grown men and have families of their own maybe, I wonder what their emotional reaction will be when they encounter the word Father. That drives me, and I think about that often. The desire and need for Father is extremely powerful in the human experience. And this is not just for Christians, for those who follow Jesus. This is true in the secular world, too. The secular world gets this, and they get it big time. How many novels and movies have the father relationship as a central theme or plot element in the storyline. I just started thinking of some movies off the top of my head, and within 30 seconds, I had a, I had a bunch. Here are a few. Um, first of all, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? <laughs> Father-son tied up there together. Don't call me Junior, right? And uh, Lion King, of course. It's, the, it's prevalent all throughout that one. Road to Perdition. Uh, kind of in a negative way, but still definitely there. Finding Nemo, popular one at our house. Um, there Will Be Blood, best picture from 10 or so years ago. How to Train Your Dragon, also a popular one with my kids, but big time with the father-son relationship. We could say Star Wars, too. You know, you got Luke and Darth Vader, right? And then uh, more recently, Han Solo and Kylo Ren. I came across this uh, this week, and I had to show it to you this morning. It says Father's Day because he's still your dad, even though he cut off your hand. 
<laughs> but there are so many more. There are so many more novels and movies that we could talk about. Christian psychologists have told us that we get our idea of who God is from how we have experienced Father, especially in childhood. So those who have passive or indifferent fathers often tend to view God as passive and indifferent, reluctant and hesitant to engage, to confront, to guide, or to instruct. Those who have had absent fathers may end up struggling to believe that God really cares about them and that he's always with us. Uh, Those who have had a father who was harsh or overbearing or demanding often end up viewing life through the lens of performance and duty, and they end up seeing God as more something more like a drill sergeant than a tender, compassionate, loving father. Little wonder, then, that just the mention of the word father can evoke such a wide range of emotions within us. You know, one of the most radical and persistent themes all throughout Scripture concerning God's nature and his heart is his desire to be known by his children as a loving, caring father. Throughout history, God has revealed his heart to be a father to his children. This is true Bible-wide. Okay, This is true from the opening chapters of Genesis to the closing chapters of the book of Revelation. The very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, God says, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Not my worshipers, not my subjects, my children. That's how God wants to be known. And at the very beginning of the Bible as well, this is right after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it says, The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? This is so beautiful. Do you see this? God had intimate fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden, but these two people, as we know, royally messed up, right? And they ran and hid. And God, knowing what they had done, God knew exactly what they had done, and what does he do? He goes after them. This is so beautiful. He is moving towards them. He is pursuing them. See it in the text, walking calling from the very beginning of human history god's heart is to run to the runaway the very first two people were also the very first two runaways in the human race and god pursues god pursues god's heart for fatherhood is seen all throughout scripture i could we could do nothing else this morning but just read over a hundred verses that say so. Here are a couple from the old, yeah, so we better get started, right? Uh, (laughs) Here are a couple that I picked from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 9. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. The beautiful chapter in Psalm, Psalm 68. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, 
this is our God whose dwelling is holy. Jesus often spoke to people about their true father. He would call it their father in heaven. Look at the birds, he said. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? We could also think of the Lord's, what we know as the Lord's prayer, might better be called the disciples' prayer, but uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he's saying, he's saying, okay, when you pray, pray like this. What are the first words of that prayer? Our Father. Our Father. One of the most well-known stories Jesus ever told is known to us as the story of the prodigal son, uh, the, or the parable of the lost son. And there are three characters in this story, a father and his two very different sons. And some have seen this story as being primarily about the younger son who runs off to Vegas with the family fortune, right? But I tend to see this a little differently. I, to, I used to think that, I mean, after all, it is called in most of our Bibles the parable of the lost son or prodigal son. I tend to view this more now through the, through the eyes of the father. This is a story about the father's extravagant love and his heart towards his children. So story might be familiar to some of us here this morning. What I'm going to do is go ahead and summarize the beginning of it. It's a lengthy passage, so then we'll pick it up in the text here shortly. So as I said, a man has two sons, right? The older son is dutiful. He always does everything that his father says. And the younger son could not be more different. The younger son doesn't want anything to do with the father. He doesn't want anything to do with the brother. He doesn't want anything to do with the family business. He just wants to get out of there as quickly as possible. And so he's bored sick on this farm. And so he goes to his father and he says, basically, I am sick of waiting around for you to die so I can get what's mine. I want it now. I want my inheritance now. And so the father divides his wealth between his two sons. And a few days later, let's say that happened on a Tuesday, by Friday, he's gone. He leaves. He runs off to some faraway city. He takes some stuff with him. He's got more money than he's ever seen in his life. And he's off to some city to live it up and party, and that's exactly what he does until the money runs out. And so, no surprise, the money runs out, and all those friends that he had made that were hanging out with him and couldn't wait to, you know, go out for dinner and and gambling and drinking and stuff with him, they all disappear too when the money dries up. So he finds himself alone, starving. He's working for pennies, feeding pigs for some local farmer. And he's so hungry and he has no money for food that he begins just eating the pig slop himself. And so it wasn't long after this. We don't know exactly how long. It wasn't long after this, early in his new career in pig slop distribution, that, and I love this phrase in scripture, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He has an aha moment, right? The light comes on. It begins to dawn on him that, you know what? I could have miscalculated a little bit. 
He's looking around. I don't know. Maybe it was the smell of the pigs or the smell of the pigs, or maybe it was the smell of the pigs. I don't know. But he begins to see life wasn't so bad back on the family farm. I could make a good go of it there. And he begins to put a plan together to try to salvage something out of this life that he's turned into a total dumpster fire, right? So this is his plan. He thinks, I'll go home to my father. I will tell him that I've royally screwed up. And I will tell him I'm not even worthy of being his son. And maybe he'll have enough mercy and compassion to hire me on as just one of the lowliest farmhands. So this is where we pick up the story in Luke 15:20. We've got about 12 verses here, so hang with me. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. Almost like the father was waiting for this moment, right? We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So what do we have here? Both sons are deeply loved and valued and prized by their father. To the older son, the father says, all I have is yours. Everything, it's yours the, father, the, the son had stayed by the father, and, and he, the father shared everything with him. But we learn a lot about the father's heart towards the broken and wayward by how he acts when his younger son comes home. First, we see that the father was looking for his son's return. He was watching for it. He's waiting for it. See it there in the text. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Seems that the father was hopeful and eagerly anticipating the moment of the son's return. Maybe he had looked down that road often, many times a day, wondering, is today going to be the day that we get to celebrate the safe return 
of my son. So he was looking for his son's return. Also, the father was filled with love. Filled with love. You see it in the text. Filled with love and compassion. You know, sometimes I wonder if I'm in this father's place right now, what, what am I feeling at this moment? See my son coming back? Yeah, I'm glad he's back, but maybe I'm feeling some other things too. Like saying to him, you fool, you know, how could you do something so stupid? Why can't you be more like your older brother, right? But this is such a great verse, one of the best verses in all of scripture that I know of about God, our father. He was filled with love and compassion. And another thing I noticed here, the father ran to his son, Okay, he ran out to his son. Now, this is significant because it went against what would have been considered appropriate in that day. Okay, these men are wearing like long white uh, robes and they are out in the hot sun working. Okay, did I mention their clothes were white? Okay, and they uh, did just to run in that predicament would be neither proper nor dignified, let's just say. So he, uh, but he'd cast all of that off. So great is his joy, so great is his love for his son that he just casts all of that stuff off and runs to meet his son on the road. And so I wonder about the son in that moment. You know, father had to run a long way, right? It says he was a long ways off. So the, the father's just running, he's getting closer and closer and you know, the son's just like, okay, this could be good. Maybe it's not good that he's running towards me. But, you know, so maybe he busts out that speech out of his pocket and he's getting ready to say it, this one he had rehearsed, no doubt, numerous times in anticipation of this event. And uh, his father gets to him, you know, and he's like, Father, I have sinned against you. And he can't even get through it because the father is smothering him with hugs and kisses. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the Father. There are so many things we can take away from this, so many principles, so many lessons. I just want to offer three takeaways this morning. First of all, God is our true and perfect Father. He is our true and perfect Father. He does not make mistakes. God never gets it wrong. God always has all of the facts out in front of him and his judgments are always just. He never punishes when he shouldn't. He is always working towards our ultimate good and his glory. And he is never in a position where he has to ask us to forgive him. Okay? This brings up a memory from my own parenting experience. I have, as I said, two sons. Marshall is 11. Calvin is almost 10. Back when they were like maybe six and five, something like that, uh, my wife and I are sitting downstairs. You know, this is in Pennsylvania and Gettysburg. And so, you know, we hear them playing upstairs and then all of a sudden everything goes quiet and we're like, and then someone yells and then there's some crying. And then we're like, okay, who did what to who, you know? And Marshall, my older son, he comes running down the stairs, and he's just like, Calvin hit me. All right. So, again, Calvin's like five, 
and you know, like most boys, he goes through a phase where you know, he's got to learn self-control, and we're trying to teach him that you don't work out your anger or you don't work out arguments or conflicts with your fists, right, or your feet or your teeth. <laughs> and so, so right away, I got a quick picture of what had happened, and so I, I go marching up the stairs, you know, my temperature's rising a little bit, and I, I get up there, and, and I walk into the room, and Calvin's about to say something, and I'm just like, no, we have told you that you don't use your hands to settle this kind of thing. When you get angry, you don't do this. We talk it out, and you control yourself and deep breaths and all that, right? And so I disciplined him. I punished him right there. Now, at our house, the way that we do it is we'll discipline the kid and then we'll kind of leave him there in his room by himself for a little bit, uh, for a little, you know, cool down period, a little calm down time. And then a few minutes later, we'll go back in and we'll, we, you know, we'll draw him up close and we'll talk about it and we'll talk about why the discipline had to happen so he understands. And then, you know, we'll pray and then there'll be forgiveness and and, uh, you know, at the end of that, we feel like this is very important that we say together, all done. You know, when the forgiveness has taken place and done praying, it's like all done. Now it's all done. We don't have to have to visit, revisit this again. So uh, I'm, I'm letting this cool down, calm down period happen. So I go walking downstairs and I'm really the one who needs to calm down. And um, so I'm downstairs and I could see on Marshall's face that something was off. I was like, Marshall, you need to tell me something? Dad, okay, I didn't actually, he didn't actually hit me, right? He's like, well, what did he do? Did he scratch you? You know, did he slap you? Like, what, what did he do? Show me the mark. And he's like, yeah, it was more like a real light little push. There, there is no mark. And I'm like, and I can see what's happening here, and my heart just like went into my stomach because I knew that I had disciplined Calvin and he didn't deserve it. So I'm walking back up the stairs, very different attitude this time. (laughs) And as I got to his door and I'm walking in, I could hear that he was crying and I'll never forget the picture. It was so humbling and so powerful. I walk in, Calvin's sitting there. He's got his knees up in his chest, you know, and just just like this, and, and he was like trying to catch his breath, and he's crying, and, and I just looked at him, and I just thought to myself, I remember thinking very, remember very vividly thinking to myself, I have the capacity to do this to my son. Man, that just hurt. And so I went and sat down beside him and like drew him up, and he had this confused look on his face, and why not? I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, and his father just punished him. You know, he's, he's sitting there trying to work that out. That doesn't make sense. So I had to, had to draw him up close and, and uh, kind of got eye level with him, and he wouldn't meet my eyes, so I had to, like, cup his chin, you know, and, and, and pull him up. And, and I had to tell him, Calvin, this was all my fault. You, and you have to understand this about this experience right now. You did not deserve this. You did not deserve this. This was all, I am completely in the wrong here, and will you forgive me? And that seemed to do it. He just like, 
held me tight, and we were both crying a little bit, and I, we, we just sat there and uh, felt God prompting me in that moment to kind of use this as a teachable moment. So I said to him the same point that we're making right here. Calvin, God is your true and perfect father. He never does what I just did. He never does that. And he is always true, always perfect, and um, you can trust him. I have let you down before. I've had to ask your forgiveness before. I had to right now. I'm going to have to ask your forgiveness again. But God will never, ever let you down. He is our true and perfect father. Another takeaway, God wants to father us. He wants to father us. What do I mean by father us? means that he is for us all that we want and need a father to be. He is all of it, okay? Protector, provider, comforter. He shelters me. He lovingly corrects me. He accepts me. He knows me. He sees me. And he is delighted with what he sees, This is our Father. Paul put it so beautifully in Romans 8. He says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, now we call him Abba. Father. Abba. That doesn't, that's not talking about like an old music group. Abba, the English equivalent of Abba would be something very close to Papa, Dad, Daddy. This is how God wants to relate to us. He knows that we have this father need, this father drive in us, this this insatiable desire to be fathered well. He knows because he put it in us and he himself and he offers himself to us to completely fulfill those desires and to satisfy that craving. Abba, we don't have to be fearful. You know what I think of when when I see this verse? I think of a kid, boy or girl, standing on the side of a pool, you know, uh, kind of afraid to jump in. They don't really know how to swim yet. They kind of know that they're not ready for this yet. They're afraid of what will happen when they get in the water. Who's going to be there to help me, right? And then... The father steps in the pool. It could be a mother, but it's Father's Day, so we're going to go with father, right? (laughs) Father steps in the pool, opens his arms. Now what happens to that boy? All that fear is gone. He could jump off the side of that pool into his father's arms all day because his father's arms are a place of security and strength. My father can handle this. He's got me, right? Beautiful picture. So God is our true and perfect father. He wants to father us. And third, and believe in a group this size, there are some people here this morning who need to hear this, need to receive this truth. No matter what we have done, God eagerly awaits our return. He is eagerly waiting for us to return. Perhaps you think 
that you have outsinned God's ability to forgive you. Maybe you think that something that you have done is just so awful in your eyes that it somehow is not covered by God's grace. It's that bad. Or you have hurt so many people that now God doesn't even want to father you anymore. In fact, if you ran away, God might even be a little glad about that because then he wouldn't have to worry about you anymore. He wouldn't have to pursue you or or be your father. Maybe you can relate to how the prodigal son felt when he said, Father, I'm not worthy of being called your son. Or maybe you relate more to the older brother in that story. That's a beautiful thing about this story. Everybody can see themselves somewhere in it. You know, the older son who has his own anger issues. He's working out there on his dad when he kind of goes off on him. Basically, you know, saying, uh, you don't seem to be very excited about me. What do I have to do to get your attention? How about, oh, I got it. How about I take half of everything that you've ever produced and I run off and blow it in a year and then I come back with my tail between my legs maybe I could have a party then, right? Maybe, maybe that's what it'll take to get you to notice me. See, the older son did not appreciate the relationship and stature he already had with his father. So maybe you are a prodigal who has returned. Maybe you're, you are a prodigal and you're still living in the pig slop and you need to come to your senses Maybe you have become judgmental, prideful, angry, like that older brother. Whatever it is, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. About this story is so cool. Both sons needed in their own way to return to the father. We can too. No matter where you see yourself in the story, the Father's extravagant love perfectly addresses your situation. Now, I came across a beautiful story here that I just want to read to you. It's uh, kind of lengthy, but I'll go through it quickly. This is a story about a young man who was in prison and was going to be released soon. He wrote home to his father and told him that if he was still open to him coming back after all the embarrassment he had brought on the family to just tie a yellow ribbon on the tree in the back field. There was a railroad track that ran past the old family property and train passengers could see the tree as they went past. It was huge. So the warden came to the young man's cell three weeks later and told him, son, you're going home. You're a free man now. Live right and don't come back. The young man gathered up his few belongings and gave away what he couldn't carry with him. Several hours later, he was finally released from prison and was standing on the landing at the train station. He bought his ticket one way for a continuing destination just in case he wasn't welcome at home. So with trepidation, he boarded the train that would be passing by the family farm. The journey had been a long one, and now the train was rounding the bend that would take him past his old homestead. Anxiously, he waited to see if he could see the tree. And when it came into full view, he was astonished to see that it was covered with yellow ribbons. Not one ribbon, but thousands of them were all over the tree. Every limb, every twig, even the trunk had a thousand yellow ribbons all over it. 
Tears welled up in the young man's eyes, and he started crying. The Pullman saw him crying and asked, What's the matter, son? I'm going home, he replied. Well, what are you crying for? Shouldn't you be happy, asked the Pullman. I am happy. I haven't been home in a long time, and I'm going to see my dad, said the young man. As the train pulled into the station and slowed to a stop, the young man stepped off the train onto the platform and stopped short. He couldn't believe his eyes. There, in front of his brothers and sisters, his mom and many of his aunts and uncles, stood his father. Tears began to stream from his eyes, and soon everyone was crying and hugging him. The prodigal son had come home. Only a father would love his son that much that he would forgive him all his misdeeds and sins. That's so powerful. Powerful story. So I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey today, where you are in your relationship with your true father, but I know this. I know where he is with you. You know where he is? He's close. He is near. He craves intimate fellowship and relationship with you. He is and has been pursuing you all along. Let me tell you what's true about you from your father's eyes. You are his cherished treasure. That's real. You are his delight. God's word says that you are his masterpiece. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning, an invitation, really. Band's going to play a beautiful song that perfectly, that I think is a great response to this message this morning. And I'm going to invite you to kind of see it the same way. Use it as an opportunity right there in your chair. Maybe something's been stirred up inside this morning and you just want an opportunity to respond to it. You can do that right there in your chair. I want you to see your father running to you. See that tree with a ribbon tied to every branch and your father there to welcome you. Because the question really is this, will we come home? Coming home looks a lot different for all of us. In preparation for this message, I had to spend a little time coming home. So you take this opportunity as the band plays. You can allow the song just to kind of be a a prayer and then uh, allow God to just till the soil of your heart during this. And I'll come back and close us in prayer. Let's close in prayer this morning. Thank you, God, that it is just like you to run to the runaway. We've all been there. Awaken us, God, to the reality that you are the Father we've been looking for, that you have, in fact, been fathering us all along. Thank you, Lord, that you are near. The veil has been torn. You bid us come before your throne boldly and with confidence that we do not have to fear You want us, you put within us to cry out to you, Abba, Father, Daddy. 
Give us the grace, God, to believe this and to act on it and complete what you've begun in us today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.